Quintessential Podcast, September back to school this weekend. It's the PLL semifinals on Sunday, September 11th, Audi Field in Washington, D.C. It's PLLTickets.com, 1 o'clock on ABC. Eight, that's ABC. So Water Dogs and the Whip Snakes, 3.30 on ESPN+, Plus. The Archers and Chaos, Cotter, Kark, Ryan Boyle, and Dana Boyle, who's our guest right now, will be on the call for what should be uh, a really, really exciting semifinals. Dana, welcome in. Thanks for having me. Also, no relation to Ryan Boyle. I used to get that growing up if we were related, and we are not. Um, but he's a superstar, so I'm pumped to work with him. You have had quite uh, a last two or three weeks. Uh, you have been across the country and back covering uh, men's lacrosse for the PLL and covering college football. And you backed into one of the best games of last weekend, uh, App State hosting North Carolina. What the heck happened at the end of that game? That's a good question. Uh, I'm not so sure I've had time to debrief and collect myself. Um, neither do I think Mac Brown has either, but that turned into a basketball game, um, especially in the fourth quarter. App State put up 40 points and still couldn't get the seal on the W, but lots of offense, not so great defense. Uh, I didn't play football ever in my entire life, but um, I could see from the sideline view that um, UNC's got some work to do on the defensive end. I know Gene Chizik will clean that up. It's his first year at UNC, but um, that game was intense and they put 40,000 fans in a 30,000 ish arena. Uh, and the energy was unlike anything I've experienced in my life. When you look at the, the barometer that I use sometimes to tell whether a game's going to be really good from an environment standpoint are ticket prices. Mm -hmm. And last weekend, the most expensive ticket prices were Pitt and West Virginia, a return to the backyard brawl. Obviously, you're drawn from two fan bases in Pittsburgh, Notre Dame at Ohio State, and then the third highest was Carolina at App State in Boone. What was Boone like? I like Boone. Yeah, I like uh, it too. I've been I've, I've been there twice. It's it's a cool. I don't know if I could live there, but going there like during the summer or the fall seems yes. seems, seems really cool. I, I think I could live there. So it's very similar to where I grew up in New Hampshire. Not great service, cell phone service. Um, so I felt very at home in in that regard. But it's a quaint town and the town revolves around app state and coach Sean Clark, and there's a different energy, um, less humidity, which I appreciate, uh, but a cute town. We did dinner and blowing rock and explored a little bit. Facilities at app state are amazing, but good people. And, um, we were taken care of from app state. Let me ask you a question about app state lacrosse. Uh, as lacrosse grows in the Carolinas, specifically North Carolina and then South Carolina, could you see a lacrosse program at App State within the next decade or 20 years? I hope so. I mean, being optimistic, I, I think yes. Um, I'd like to see it at NC State first um, because it is just in the ACC, and I think that's where we could see it grow. Clemson for women's lacrosse is getting getting a team, which I think is really important. That'd be awesome. Um, the facilities are great. It takes a different type of kid, I think, to go to App State, but um, lacrosse is growing at a rapid rate, so why not? PLL on Sunday, Audi Field in D.C. It's a great venue, PLLtickets.com. Uh, you were on the beat a couple of weeks ago, and you made quite a trip across the country to Seattle. I saw you stretch the trip. Tell the fans uh, about what you did prior to the games in Tacoma. 
I had never been to Seattle before. So I did go out a little bit early. Jay Alter, my partner in crime who was doing play-by-play also went out early and we explored. Uh, I did the Space Needle, um, which was interesting. I'm, uh, I'm afraid of heights and that confirmed my fear of heights after going up that high, but it's a beautiful place. Um, again, sort of crunchy and a little bit granola-y. And so there's a lot that I love about it that reminds me of New Hampshire and uh, outdoors. I hiked Mount Rainier and I consider myself a somewhat in shape person. And that altitude got me. I was getting passed on the trail by significantly older people. They were crushing me on the trail, but it was beautiful. You can see the mountains, there's natural waterfalls, snow-capped mountains. I mean, the views, I took a ton of pictures and none of them did it justice. The place is unreal. It played in the Tacoma Dome, which was an interesting facility. It looked like a uh, carpet and the lighting may have been a, a little bit treacherous. What was the action like? It's interesting that you talk about the surface. I had never played on that type of surface. It was almost like a shag carpet in a way. There weren't those little turf black beads. And initially when we walked on the field at practice before the game started, I thought maybe we would see players slipping, but not more than normal. I thought maybe at the face-off, but I talked to some of the players and they didn't have any concerns with it. I think I was on the sidelines, but up in the booth where Ryan Boyle and Jay Alter were, the lights were pretty bright and it was dark in there. And so I think sometimes for them, the ball maybe got lost in the air. But I mean, these players are used to performing in less than ideal circumstances. I think anytime you're indoors, that's a huge plus, but it definitely was different than most had experienced. But um they packed the house. There was a lot of little kids in the stands um, yelling for Matt Rambo. And um, it was cool to see Seattle and the surrounding community show up. I wasn't entirely sure what the youth beat was like out there and talking to Paul Rabel. I mean, it's growing and which is amazing because, you know, you and I both love lacrosse. So it's encouraging to see that. I got to call games from down on the sideline at Albany and Salt Lake. I forget if I was down there on, on the Long Island trip, uh, for the all-star game was also on the field at Gillette. How, how do you best describe it for fans? Like being in the action, being in the huddles, being so close to really you hear probably more than you can use, but uh, how, how do you describe that? It's raw and it's unlike anything that I've experienced before in the sense of it's uncut and it's, you're getting players off the field and they just scored a goal and you can interview them. And I just don't know if that is the case in other sports, the access is off the charts. And that's where I think the PLL does a great job of allowing us inside the huddle to hear and listen. And sometimes I get caught listening in terms of my lacrosse brain. I'm like, okay, wait, I need to break down the X's and O's a little bit better. So, you know, the average fan can understand, but the access and the willingness, I think that's the biggest thing for me of the players to be vulnerable because it does take a certain level of understanding outside of the game. You have to take yourself outside the X's and O's and think, okay, if we want to grow the sport, men's and women's, how are we going to do that? Well, we need to be raw and we need to be uncut. And it's awesome. I've enjoyed covering the PLL and a lot of those players that we're seeing on TV, I got to go to school with and lacrosse is a small community like you know and so it's it's special to be a part of something one o'clock on abc on sunday water dogs and whips yeah you know like relationships 
are twofold uh, when, when you're down there. You know, like I went to school with Matt Panetta. He's an assistant coach for the chaos. I played, I was a teammate of Jamie Hanford's. I played against Andy Towers for years. Like I can go up to, if I wanted to, I can go up to them during the games and say, Oh, what are you running here? Or, you know, what's going on with your defense, Jamie? Uh, but you got to kind of uh, straddle a line between like what you, uh, what you're entitled to and let, what may, maybe actually stepping over the line. And I'm sure with some of your relationships with, with some players that you know from your college days, there, there's also a little bit of that also. It's like, I, just give me a little. I, I don't want to know too much because if I do, you know, this is not like it, it's proprietary. You, I could be giving away secrets. How do you find that balance? That's a good question. Um, I tend to overshare too in situations like you and I, or, you know, if we're out having food before a game, but I think it just comes down to a respect level. And I love the game of lacrosse and I want to put the best foot forward for those that are new to the sport. And for those that aren't, what can they learn without crossing the line? Like you're saying, um, it's, it's a mutual balance of respect, but I would never say anything that would jeopardize the sport or jeopardize maybe a new fan um, who's, who's new to the game and they want to learn, you know, you don't want to say anything or project anything that may be not be true. Cause there is so much raw emotion on the sidelines because you're getting these coaches and these players in some of the most critical moments. And uh, you, it's funny that you mentioned going up to the coaches, Nat St. Laurent at one point during the game in Seattle turned to me and said, what are you seeing? And I'm like, you got to do better picking up the other team in transition. <laughs> and he kind of laughed, but it was a great humanizing moment that I'm like, yes, he's a coach, but also he respects me and I respect him in the lacrosse way. And so I thought that was such an interesting tidbit and I'll never forget that. And that's something that you don't get all the time in the college game, but it's, it's cool that it's in the pros. Yeah. It's really amazing. The more we're there, the more you become embedded, the the less uh, you stick out and, and the players and coaches are just very uh, ready and, and, and willing for you just to peek into a huddle. Uh, Chris Bates is circling around with Will Manny and, and uh, and Tommy Schreiber and there's you like standing right in the huddle listening and and I don't really have an issue with it so I, I it, it really for me it's been really cool I've learned a ton mm -hmm. uh, you know it really gets you up to date with what's going on in the game uh, you know it's it's better than going pra going to practices are really helpful but but sitting in that huddle during a game you re you really understand uh, do you find the same to be true I do I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier but I sometimes catch myself listening, not as a sideline, but listening as a player. And what's interesting about the PLL is that it is really different than women's lacrosse and college lacrosse, men's or women's. And so there's a lot more scheming that goes into the PLL than I think some people realize. And it's unique in the fact that they don't practice every week like a college team. They're practicing one day before the game, but you have the best players in the world who all are pulling in the same direction who have the mentality of a college athlete. And then it's this like melting pot of talent and everybody wants to win and that never gets lost. But I've learned a lot, like you said, from the coaches listening in the huddles from the players going to practice and just being curious, I think is, is the biggest thing that's helped me become better at my job and then also put a better display of the sport on TV. Water Dogs and Whip Snakes, 1 o'clock. It's ABC. That's the big network on Sunday, September 11th. They're going to be honoring Wells Crowther's uh, memory. Uh, his family members are going to be there. 
for a special ceremony. 3.30 on ESPN Plus, it's Archers and Chaos. You can watch those games at Sammy's and Hunt Valley. If you do, get some meatballs, my favorite. Uh, let's start with the Whip Snakes. They, didn't pre- they uh, were off last week. They actually uh, went up to Princeton, New Jersey, and had a day of practice. I texted uh, Jim Stagnita about it. He said they had practice. They went to Conti's to, for pizza. I looked at the Conti's menu, and, like, they have anchovies. Does anyone put anchovies on pizza? Who, who puts anchovies on pizza? I am the pickiest eater, so I certainly do not. But I do put pineapple on my pizza, like pineapple and ham, which I know is a hot topic of debate. They also, the Whip Snakes also, uh, they had like uh, player challenges where, where because they, had, they haven't played since you saw them in Tacoma. That's August 21st. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of rust. But the players will uh, text back and forth and, and give themselves like workout challenges. Just like, okay, Dana, run two miles today in under 12 minutes and like prove it and, and, and text it to the group. That's what I'm saying. It's this college competitive mentality that I don't, I haven't lost that yet and they don't. And some of them are, you know, close to my age, a little bit older, but everyone wants to win. And and that's just the fabric of who we are as athletes. And it's fun to see them have that same sort of competitive nature. And like you said, they're not together all the time. So those like mental check-ins that I think you would have in preseason as a college player, you know, they're doing that throughout the PLL season. And it really is on you as a player to, be your best so then the team can be better and I think you've seen some cases where players aren't on their a game or they're doing too much private lessons during the week and it's taking away from some of the things that they're doing during the weekend with the PLL and so it's that balance that I think is challenging to find for anybody yeah there's a balance between training and rest uh you know these guys are on a lot of planes and in hotels traveling and some of them are recruiting as coaches uh there's a lot on their plate at certain times that right now it should be about all playing lacrosse and so it's ironic to hear you know practice some pizza they sound it sounds like a like a, a you know a team of seven or eight year olds <laughs> when i when i break down the, the whip snakes they're nine and one I, I believe they've won like seven of those nine games by two goals or less like they don't dominate but they are methodical they are as consistent as it gets. They don't beat themselves. They remind me, again, they have a lot of Maryland players, and they play a, a, a collegiate, a, a Maryland-style lacrosse. Uh, they're just buttoned up. It's too hard to run on them, hard to score and transition on them. They're good uh, facing off, good in the goal. Like, when, when you cover the whip snakes, what, what jumps out at you? I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when I think of the whip snakes, I think of defense. They've got the best defense in the league. They've got a lot of Turk players, a lot of Maryland players. Um, one thing that I saw that took me back a little bit was their last game in Seattle against the Cannons. Cannons had nothing to lose at that point, and the Whips had arguably playing for nothing. They were already in the playoffs. So I think that's a tricky balance, and I saw the Cannons make the Whips uncomfortable in that first half in Seattle. And I thought that that was a good test. And I remember talking to coach Stagnita after, and he was happy. He's got a great perspective, but they didn't play to the level that they want for that team. And yes, they keep getting better and yes, they have great players, but that was a challenge and it was a test and they overcame that test. And it's difficult to know that you're already in the playoffs, but you have a last regular season game. And so it'll be interesting to see with so much time off, 
how they've approached. I, I talked to coach Dagnita this week and, and he said they are, they did watch film on that game and, and there's a lot of things that they can learn from it. Um, transition wise, marking up better on defense. And, and I think it's interesting that for them, they don't have a magician at X. They don't got a crease guy. They've got Rambo and Zed. And it's interesting that that wing play and those different quadrants sort of makes up for that, but they are so skilled on the attacking end and, I think it's going to be a really good game. You mentioned their defense, Matt Dunn, Timmy Mueller, and Bryce Young, all from Maryland. You get the pole, Michael Earhart, who, who in person, I've said it a, a zillion times this year. When you go to a game and watch Michael Earhart roam the middle of the field, it's just downright scary. Mm-hmm. He's gigantic. He can run. Uh, he's really skilled. The, the area that they've improved this year is their shorties, Jake Bernhardt and uh, Tyler Warner have done a lot better. And that in, in turn has improved Kyler Burnlaw's save percentage I you know to stop them you got to deal with Zed Williams the big strong righty you got to deal with Matt Rambo the big strong lefty and and very few teams have that combo of defenders who, who can stand uh, their ground against, against those two guys and it seems like when Rambo and Williams start getting to the middle you know Carlson gets his looks Chan and Chuck gets his looks Brad Smith gets his looks mm-hmm. you know I, I want you to get your opinion on Connor Kirst Connor Kirst like went to Villanova as a face-off man midfielder, ended up finishing his career at Rutgers where he really was playing attack. Now he's a pro, second-year pro, and he's playing like defensive midfield, a two-way role. And I never would have thought that was possible. He's in great shape. He gets up and down the field. He's really been a plus for them this season. And, you know, like I think so often we forget these guys are still really young. You know, they're, they're 22, 23, 24. And he, he's like morphed himself into this new role just because he's like a really good lacrosse player. And he's been extremely serviceable. I think he's been one of their, their brightest players in terms of, of creating transition. Yeah. I mean, he, you hit the nail on the head, the way that he can run up and down the floor is efficient and he creates number opportunities in transition. And I think defensive middies see the game differently in a way that an attacker would, and he is efficient and, He's a beast. That would be the word that I would describe him as. And it's been cool to see the evolution of his game. And he does have a lot of tools in his toolbox. Like you said, coming from playing a position in college to now playing a defensive midi, that gives the whips an extra punch, in my opinion. Water Dogs are an interesting team. They're a tough read because they've been all over the map. They started off slow. They caught fire in the middle of the year. They finished slow and they played their best game maybe of the year in, in the quarterfinal scoring 19 goals. Andy Copeland deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the college, the ex-college coaches had good success last week in the quarters. Copeland spent what, 11 years at Fairfield. Uh, prior to that, he was at Marist. I have a lot of respect for the Water Dogs based on what we saw in that Connecticut weekend when they were like down to 14 players and it was like 110 on the field and they they gave up a lead. They gutted it out, tied it up, and then won the game. Connor Kelly played a great game. Like, there's a certain toughness. I, I really respect the Water Dogs. They got guys like, you know, Connor Kelly, Zach Courier, Ryland Reese, Liam Burns, like Chris Sabia. They're just tough. You know, I, I don't think they're great by any means, but they're going to be a difficult out because I think at the end of the day, they, they just compete, you know? It's like it's like they could care less. They're, they're like low – social media guys you know they're flying under the radar and they just come out and cross check in the face and play really hard that is funny you talk about the social media 
some of the teams use that as a motivator that I've talked to this, this season. They're like, we don't get a lot of attention on social media. First of all, the PLL does an amazing job with social media and access in that way. But it's funny that you say that because when I spoke to some of the water dogs players, they, they, they agreed with that. But I think it's been interesting to watch how the water dogs have managed shot clock situations in recent weeks better. That would be my, my takeaway. And that's one small piece of the game, but um, I think that helped them in that five game win streak. Yes. You know, they got the loss at the end and couldn't make it six straight, but it might've caught up to them a little bit, but I think they put a good chunk of the season, their best performance on display and they didn't make a lot of mistakes in that run. And so I think that's encouraging. And that to me, if I'm the whips, I'm like, oh no, they can put a run together. And I, and I do have a lot of respect for Annie Copeland. I think the way he's been able to take all the pieces and put it together. Yes, Michael Sowers is a huge part of that, but there are other players too that that get the ball rolling and they wouldn't be who they were without some of those players. Yeah, Kieran McCardle, St. John's 2014 uh, that was a guy who rewrote the St. John's record book when he was there. They were actually kind of good uh, early on in his career. That, that's a program uh, now with a new coach, Justin Turry. Hopefully they can uh, turn things around. Uh, the faceoffs last week, Jake Withers faced off. He did well. The, but the wing plays, Zach Courier and Ryan Reese, those guys, I think they combined for like 14 ground balls. Courier had a huge day. Ryan Conrad was a weapon in transition. And they just got it. They got the running game going. You know, at times this year, it's been Sowers working off of picks. Like, they'll set the big little pick, they get a switch, and then they play offense. And some defenses don't handle that well sometimes. They just switch shorties on the Sowers. Like, what are you doing? You know, but uh, I like the transition. It'll be interesting to see if they can run against the whip snakes because teams typically don't run well against whip snakes because they're just so buttoned up. But uh, if Withers can make it a 50-50, I like their chances to win some grounders with Courier and, and Reese. That's another thing too that I've taken away from the PLL face-off game is huge at the stripe, but those 50-50 balls in the middle of the field, I mean, that often determines a lot in terms of possession and, and can you capitalize on that possession, but it's so physical and that's an adjustment that I've seen because I primarily cover women's lacrosse. It's physical and these guys are strong and big. I mean, you talk about like, I mean, any of the defenders on the water, they're big kids, big players. Yeah. Like Ben Randall, 6'3", 210. Liam Burns, 6'3", 195. Chris Sabia from Penn State, 6'2", 200. That's like standard in the league. Uh, and they can move. They can move with that size. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. Dylan Ward plays the goalie, Team Canada, and the Water Dogs plays on that that high arc for the medium-range shots. He'll, he'll, he'll creep out. Uh and he'll block some some shots that typically you wouldn't have time to react to. With that comes rebounds. So rebound control is going to be critical in that game. Uh, it, it should be interesting. I th think the whips are a little bit of a favorite, but coming off the layoff, quite honestly, you know, if if the Water Dogs can get off to a good start in the first five minutes, while the whips are still kind of on their summer vacation, they haven't played <laughs> since August twenty first. Like that could go a long way. That game's at 1 o'clock on ABC. Again, it's PLLtickets.com. Audi Field's a sensational venue. It's where Maryland played Virginia this uh, March. And from all accounts, uh, the, the, the sight lines are incredible. The pitch is amazing. That's on Sunday, the semis. Semi 2 is at 3.30. That's going to be on E+. Again, Cotter, Clark, Ryan Boyle, 
Dana Boyle, no relation. It's archers and chaos. And I guess we got to start with the chaos. Like defending champs, would they go two and eight? Mm-hmm. And every week we said, oh, this is the week the, the chaos wake up. This is the week they wake up. And they never did. And they limp into the playoffs and then deliver a, just a sensational game last week. And I, 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 if I give Andy Towers one credit for one thing, it's like he understands the format of, of this league. Like the regular season, just get in. And then good things happen. I think they're six and one in their last seven playoff games. How, how do you explain uh, how this team can go from being kind of scrubby to all of a sudden being a, a, a you know a championship contender? Really scrubby. Yeah, no, they were so bad. Sure. There were times where they couldn't score seven goals. Like right, and and it was it was kind of gross. I really appreciate Andy Towers as a human being. His energy is infectious. But I just think you peak at the right time. But I I do think they should have peaked a little bit earlier. Like in Seattle, that is when they should have. And I just didn't see it. There were pieces of it, but it wasn't like I saw in the quarterfinals. And a little bit of luck, a lot of bit of skill, and it worked out for them. But that's their MO. They live and die by that we're going to get into the playoffs and we're going to make it really difficult and stressful for any of our fans. Have you ever watched Ted Lasso? No. <laughs> you have to watch it. It's, 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 it's a brilliant show. And so I, I started binge watching it about two or three weeks ago. Uh, Andy Towers is Ted Lasso. He's the head coach <laughs> of this, of this British soccer team who, you know, for, for, for all the F-bombs, for all the screaming and the intensity in the locker room, Andy Towers under that veneer, he, he's a really sharp guy. Uh, he, he's extremely smart. Uh, he wouldn't have gotten into Brown if he, if, if he wasn't bright. And he has learned how to push the, the right buttons for this team. Mm-hmm. When I last saw them in Salt Lake, I mean, I shook my head. I said, this, this team is, this team is dreadful. They, mm-hmm. they can't, they can't generate shots. They all of a sudden the defense is porous. They're not winning faceoffs. It's like blaze is hurt. You know, he had, he banged up his knee that weekend. I think, I think when you caught him in Tacoma, there was some question whether he was going to play or not. Mm-hmm. And then he, then blaze delivers this, uh, incredible game last week in the quarterfinals so I guess he's 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 back to strength so I, I don't know what to I don't know what to read into it uh, all I know is that these guys when the money's on the table like Andy Towers gets these guys to play their defense tightened up uh Josh Burns looking good Chase Frazier Mac O'Keefe he's the one guy who can stretch a defense Challen Rogers really skilled and and uh I, I'm, I'm not picking against the chaos ever again in the playoffs <laughs> I, I think I picked against them and, and- I want to change my tune, but I think Josh Byrne is their top attack option. But what I like about him is he's not your prototypical X attackman that necessarily commands the ball, the time. I think they can operate behind the cage, but then they can also distribute above and run it from the top of the paint, which I think is really interesting. And I, you saw that on display in the quarters, but I didn't really see that in the last few weeks. And so I think when he's on it, they do really well offensively. Well, here's the deal. Chaos archers. Okay. The archers have the best passing team in the league. The book on defending the archers is, is don't slide. And so I, I see the chaos trying to, trying to line up man for man. And if the archers are going to beat them, they're going to have to score on assisted goals. Blaze Reardon is better when there's not ball movement. You know, when, when mm-hmm. the ball's coming out of a, out of a single singular stick running down the alley. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if the archers who have improved off the dodge this year dramatically, I think their numbers have gone up like 5% off the dodge. Uh, you know, Matt Moore 
your uh, your Cavalier uh, alum, he's added a lot in that department in terms of being able to isolate his man and drop a double team. Uh, the the other guy uh, from Albany, uh, his name is escaping me. I don't even have Connor Fields. Oh, Connor, Connor Fields. Fields. Connor Fields in the last five games has been like lightning a huge in a bottle. Huge difference maker in his ability to post up and and draw double teams. Then you got Thomas Shriver, so they're much more capable now. I think the archers for my money, like when I, when I go to a game and get to watch those guys play offense, it's just like, wow, this is beautiful. This, mm-hmm. this is like, this is, this is I mean, the skill level, the, 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 the precision of the passing, the patterns. Like if you're a young player, you, you got to watch the archers. Uh, they like take your breath away with some of these goals mm-hmm. and some of the, some of the shooting. What, what were your, uh, your observations from, from being up, up close with the archers? It's a lot of flow offense, which I think, at least nowadays, maybe in the college game, everyone is pick heavy. But when you flow your offense and you have players who understand movement off ball, it is beautiful lacrosse. It's textbook lacrosse. And I say that about the UNC women's lacrosse team. They do a lot of flow offense. And the archers remind me of that because they have players like Marcus Holman, Will Manny, Connor Fields, Tom Schreiber, who understand what's going to happen two to three passes before it does. And they work so seamlessly together. It's not perfect, but when they're clicking offensively, you can't stop them and you can't slide because they're so good at dishing and working with the reads and understanding where the defense goes. I think, you know, I've been so impressed with Connor Fields. I mean, that kid is lightning in a bottle. I mean, he had a first half hat trick the last yeah. week of the regular season. And I sort of was like, where did this kid come from? And when I've spoken to the players, like Will Manny, some of the vets that have been there in the organization, they've done such a good job of bringing those younger players along. So they feel confident to add to the offense, which makes them dynamic and makes them hard to stop. Chris Bates, another ex-college coach at Drexel and then Princeton, has done a good job. And I think the players deserve some credit here in terms of ego because you got some high-name talent. You got some big-name guys, Shriver, Ament, Manny, Holman, Moore, and they're playing team offense. I think it also should be, should be noted that Ryan Ambler has really come on this year. Yes. Uh, 28 now, Princeton 2016. Uh, and he kind of gets left alone. He's a little bit of an afterthought, but he won't be an afterthought. Uh, too much longer the way the way he's been shooting it so my question with the archers is like up the middle face-offs with Justin Ignacio Adam Gittleman now at 33 between the pipes and a close defense that that I don't love Graham Hasek I like the rest of the guys scare me like this is a game I don't think either defense should feel very comfortable against their opponent in this game I think it's going to be high scoring which I don't love in lacrosse I love good fundamental really oh I like on, on, look, when I'm in between the pipes, we don't want high scoring. But when we're on, we're on TV, we love 18-17, take me to two overtimes. I like 5-6 at halftime or like 3-4. No, those, those are dreadful. We need fans. We, 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 need, we need people to buy tickets, PLOtickets.com. We need people to watch on ABC and then ESPN+. Plus. Go to but Sammy's the- Hunt Valley, sit down, and, and, and watch it on the big screen. But the 18, goalie saves. Like 18, the goalie 17. play – the goalie play in the PLL is off the charts. I tell people all the time in another life, I want to come back. I want to come back and be a goalkeeper. Oh, no, 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 no you, don't. You, you don't, you don't. It's a tortured existence. And especially for your parents and your family members. 
<laughs> did you go to college with Adam? Yes, I did. He's a good friend of mine. Adam, he's dialed. I, I love I love Adam. Uh, Adam's cold. He's north north shore of, of Nassau. We live like in the same line. He, his his community had a lot more money than mine. But you know what what he's done uh, sticking around. You don't see guys thirty three years old sticking around. He was a really good high school athlete. He loves to run around and make plays. And I think as he's gotten older, he's realized that sometimes it's probably not the smartest thing. But I, I can't help but root for a person like like, like Adam. Yeah. Uh, He's in the weeds too. He's, he's clipping film and, and teaching the game still. And I think that's important, not just in college as like a veteran leader, but you know, you're in the pros now and he's, he's doing the scouting report for a lot of the younger players. So when you see someone like him modeling that type of behavior, Will Manny's the same way, Marcus Holman, Tom Schreiber, that is where I see the difference. And, and that makes uh, archers very unique in that way. Yeah. Adam's living it. Uh, Park City, Utah. I was up there when, when I was out in Salt Lake. I actually stayed in Park City. He directed me to a great hike, uh, a couple lunch spots. It was it was uh, magnificent. PLL semis again, Sunday, ABC at 1, 3.30 on ESPN+. Cotter Clark, Ryan, and Dana. Uh, take the fans through the, what the rest of your week. You got, uh, you're you're going to be texting and, and making phone calls to players and coaches, getting some storylines. And then what's the deal with uh, – you going to practices or what's the prep like? I probably over prepare in many ways. I love to sit and watch film. So I went back and watched the quarterfinal games because I was in app state doing the football game, but where I get the most fulfillment is talking to the coaches and talking to the players. Yes, we can analyze it, you know, as a viewer, it's a lot easier to say like, Oh, you should have slid or, you were late on a half slide or that was a terrible shot um, or lazy transition defense, but talking to the players and hearing not an explanation or an excuse, but there's a lot of things that go on in a team that I'm not sure viewers are aware of. And there's a lot of differing personalities that all have to be on the same page in a mental aspect in order to perform physically. So getting behind the scenes look, with the coaches and the players and there's a great amount of trust between you know the coaches and you know I was on a few calls today with Kark and Cotter and Boyle and there's a respect that they have for each other and that allows us to do our jobs better and tell the stories at the end of the day it's not about us and it's about the players and and how can we put the best version of the PLL on display for viewers but I love the prep I love making notes um about certain plays there's so many sports center top 10 plays in the pll so it's you could have notebooks and notebooks on it but going to practice is also helpful to see how they interact with each other um that's something that i'll never stop doing it's also fun just to pick up a stick and pretend that i also still play howdy field sunday one and three thirty abc uh Please, if you live in the, if the DMV, you gotta head, you gotta head over plltickets.com. The winners will advance to Subaru Park uh, in Chester, PA, outside of Philly on Sunday, the 18th. That game also on ABC at three o'clock, I believe. I'm hoping to make that one. Uh, I'm heading off to BYU. I've got Baylor at BYU late Saturday, uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock local, which prevents me from being in Washington D.C. So I'll be. Uh, I'll be watching it probably on an airplane. So <laughs> Dana, thank you. Enjoy the games. 
uh, it, sh- it should be awesome. The semifinals are always good. You know, the semifinals, people, they, they, guys play like they're not as stressed out uh, as they would be in a championship game. So I think I think you're going to see some some terrific uh, action. Yeah, I love it. I mean, we still have lacrosse and it's September, so I'm not complaining about it. That's a good thing. Dana Boyle, thank you so much. Good luck with the games. Audi Field, ABC and ESPN Plus. It's an opportunity for lacrosse. Uh, on the Linear Network nationally. Thanks for having me, Q.